My name is uh, Nathan Loxley, and I support backup quarterbacks. <laughs> Go Titans. We'll get to that. Ah, anybody had a crazy week? Anybody? Crazy week? Anybody? Crazy week, club. Uh, man. That's not crazy. That's justice. Man, don't you love hearing Ed Orgeron talk? Don't you love it? When he says, go, oh, Dodgers. It's like, whoa, buddy. Found that guy with a crawfish in his mouth, didn't he? Today we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Do you have, have a Bible with you? If you don't, raise your hand and we will hook you up. Uh, and we're going to have it up on the screen um, as well. Anybody know where Jonah is in the Bible? Anybody? Yeah, it was before the middle, but sure, it's somewhere after Genesis and before Revelation. Yeah, it is. Anybody else do Bible drill when they were? Growing up, anybody? Come on now. Come on, yeah. Present Bible. Yeah, they didn't call them swords where I was. We weren't that weird. I mean, that's just teaching your kids to be like militant Christians. It's like we're starting the crusades all over again. So no, Jonah minor, is a minor prophet, and uh, for the past couple of weeks we've been there, so we're going to be there today. We're going to actually go through Jonah 3, and they're just the first part of Jonah 4 because I like stealing Chris's thunder. Uh, that's what it comes down to. So... I don't really talk about this much publicly, but I will today. So, in two months, uh, it'll be 13 years. And so, that being said, I'm, I'm a survivor. And for the past 13 years, I've like, had to consider every single day if it's going to be the day. Like, is today the day that it, it's going to get me? Like, is it, is it going to show up today? Is it coming after me? It's all these kind of thoughts. You're always thinking, after 13 years of having something, when is it going to finally catch up to me? So, that being said, I have children. It'll sink in in a second. I, I'm not, like, terminally ill. I have children. And having children... I feel like every single day, it could be the day they decide to kill me. <laughs> because from day one, and I didn't realize this, but from day one, as soon as they saw my face, they decided, I hate your face and I want you to die. <laughs> and parents, you're right like there, no, not my baby. <laughs> Wait, we'll see. You'll, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. I didn't realize that the, the plot for my life was in place until... Yeah, you know, we stayed up spinless, like sleepless nights and all that stuff. But I didn't really realize they were out to, to end my life until we took them to a restaurant for the first time. Are you with me? It, it has given me a phobia of public eating. Like, I mean, it's, I don't, when I walk into a restaurant, I start to hyperventilate, right? I get the sweats, right? And flashbacks, just boom, 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 boom. I mean, have, have you ever, you think I'm wrong, have you ever noticed that the first thing they want to grab is a knife? Anyone. The first thing they want to do, knife, 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 and it's not for like their food, I'm just going to let you know. 
It's not, and it's backed up. How many times have you had to pick something up off the floor when you're in a restaurant? It's just something about that floor seems like great to them to try to shatter salt shakers on, right? Their goal is to end you, and every stage has something new, and every stage, you try to stay a step ahead of them. Am I right, parents? And so for anybody out there who has lived through the teenage years, I really need to talk to you because it's getting a little tough. Like the plans are having to become a lot more elaborate to defend myself. Right now, so we have, a, our oldest is Noah. He'll be 13 in two months. And he, yeah, he tries to kill me daily. Uh, I'm gonna have a stroke at some point early, early, early. So just prepare for me not to be singing or preaching for a while. It won't sound right. Uh, the, I'm, I'm in this stage, like he, he's already been through this 10-year-old, like early middle school thing. But our second child is a girl, and oh my gosh, I feel like, I feel like her voice, is, the only sound I ever come out of her is a, a whine, and it's high-pitched, like everything too, like, hey babe, I don't know, I'm not so sure if those combat boots match those athletic shorts. What'd you say? Yeah, maybe maybe she gets it from me. I don't know. <laughs> anything and everything. Anything and everything. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old at the same time. That's fun. Um, like, that's why I have like stress eating, and that's why I'm tired all the time. Is because of all these girls running around, and I don't even know how Chris is feeling about all this. If you ever see him building like a storm shelter in his backyard, it's not for storms. <laughs> yeah, I've got a little storm myself. Have you noticed, like children are just gonna act like children, right? There's just no way around it. Uh, we just got done with our football season. I'm, I'm one of the coaches at Sycamore. And uh, man, children just act like children, Right? And it took me a few years to be around other people's children to realize, and, and realize that I can't like, discipline them the way that parents can. Well, I can with Evan. Uh, I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Uh, but man, I want to. I want to. And I can run them and do all that stuff, but I just realized that even 18 years old, and I was probably the exact same way. My dad's sitting in here. He could tell you, but please don't. Dad, please don't. <laughs> that they're just going to act like children. And yeah, we, they, they get older and they mature. And honestly, some people are still children as adults. There's just this thing inside of us uh, that especially in situations we don't like, we start to act like children again. And not like the good way in like the feel-good movies. It's like, Oh, the child in you, let it out. No, I'm talking about like the, the child in the high chair who likes knives and throws things at waiters. That is, we, we, we let it out. And, and at four years old and two years old, my two youngest girls, their life stage right now is jealousy and like all out screaming temper tantrum stuff when they don't get their way. And it stinks so bad. And they fight, and they, all they want is, they just want, 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 want all the time. And you've been there if you have kids. 
Today we're in Jonah 3, uh, and Jonah is a uh, perfect example of kind of my intro there. Perfect example of it. So just so you know, the book of Jonah is what we call prophetic narrative, okay? He's a prophet. He goes to prophesy somewhere, but it's the narration of that story. It's not the actual just, like you look at some of the other minor prophets. Jonah's a minor prophet. Uh, That's the group of books he's in. You look at the other minor prophets and they're like what God is telling to Israel. Like, I'm gonna blow you up, Israel. Israel doesn't repent. I'm coming for you, Israel. Israel don't repent. That's what the minor prophets look like for the most part. Jonah is a narrative. We see this narrative type stuff in the book of Kings with Elijah and with Elisha. Uh, And so the interesting thing about Jonah, though, literary masterpiece. I know I end up saying that about everything I preach. It just so happens that I get to preach the books that are literary masterpieces. It is, because even though this is a historical event that happened, we can believe that this is true. It's similar to what we know today as a fable. You know what a fable is, right? A fable is a story told to teach a lesson. And Jonah, even though it's historical narrative, it is a didactic writing, which means it, tell, it teaches the reader certain things. It's gonna teach the reader certain things like who God is, who Jonah is, and what God wants. The interesting thing about this about the book of Jonah is just like, just like a really good novel. Anybody read anymore? Does anybody? Uh, the Sailors and Debbie. Surprise, surprise. And Suzanne. It's <laughs> uh, funny. I'm sorry. Inside joke. Uh, so it's, it's, it's teaching you a lesson. At the end of it, what's cool, just like a good novel, is it brings the reader into the story. And and honestly, unlike any other book in the entire Bible, it lays out this entire narrative, and the whole thing kind of ends unfinished. There's a Sopranos moment at the very end of this this book, and it's a question that's stated. And I can't state that question yet, because then Chris won't have anything to preach next week, and then we'll get in a fight, and you don't want to see us get in a fight, because it would basically be like, two seconds of activity and then a break for heavy breathing and it's just not gonna be pretty. Like we're, it's the diabetes. I promise it's what the kids have given me. I saw more Wilford Brimley memes this week. It made me laugh. Uh, It brings us into the story and so it's a cool book. Let's read Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with a sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's stop there. So, Jonah, to kind of understand how this book is laid out, it's important to see that everything's in this proper order. And I want you to see the whole entire book, which you should be, like as we're going through this, it's super easy to read this entire whole book in like a couple of minutes. That's the whole book right there. Those two pages, that's it. But it's, it has to be taken in context. Anything that we see in this book of Jonah has to be taken in context to the entire story. Because it's almost like, if we just look at chapter three, it's literally like looking at chapters in a book. Literal chapters in a book, and you wouldn't just start in the middle to get the whole idea. We gotta know something a little bit about Jonah. See, this isn't the first time that God has said, yo, Jonah, go to Nineveh. This is the second time that he said it. And the first time that he said it, somebody tell me what happened. He didn't do it. So then he took a joyride in the gut of a large fish. I don't know what type of fish that was. It could have been Nessie. I'm not sure. But three days in a fish's belly probably wasn't pleasant, right? So he disobeys God. In fact, God says, go this way. And he literally, and I'm not, this is not, yeah, on purpose, the writer of Jonah says, he goes the exact opposite way. See, everything that's written in Jonah communicates something to you. Like, every little thing does. And we don't know exactly, like, for instance, he goes to Tarshish. We don't know exactly where Tarshish was in the old world, but we know where he was going, and the writer is trying to tell you something when he says this. He's trying to literally communicate to you. He's running away from God. The other direction that God says to go, he goes. So everything, we can literally read into every little single thing in this book. So there's some things that we need to pay attention to as we read it. Here's some tips on when you read your Bible. Pay attention to things like when a word is repeated over and over and over. And Jonah is chocked full of words like this. Like big, big time. Things like arise and go. Things like he went down into. Things like, uh, where is it over here? Uh, that great city, that exceedingly great city. We see this word evil and disaster come up over and over and over. So we got to pay attention to things like that when we read it. There's a, a theme that's coming through with all these things, a main point and a main idea and grasp what, what, what this book is really trying to do for us. We've got to pay attention to things like this. So the story is this. Jonah gets called by God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a part of Assyria. The Assyrian Empire at this point was being weakened. Uh, it was in a weak kind of state. It was a little unstable. Soon after this, I'd say like 70 years after Jonah's time, along comes the Assyrian Empire and reestablishes it to be a world, like a world power. But we're right in the middle of a time where Israel is on the uptick again. Like for the first time ever, they've been negotiating with other, you know, peoples around them. They've been souping up their army a little bit, 
and they finally reestablished themselves after an exile or so um, into a, a kind of a, a place where they're back to normal. They have just as much land again as they did in the times of King David and Solomon. People are being are prosperous, all these things. So things are going for Israel like pretty well for Israel, other than the fact that they have an evil king, but we won't get into that. So Jonah is living in a pros- like a prosperous time for Israel, and he sees an Assyrian empire that is weak. That's just good context to know. <clears throat> God tells him to go to this place, Nineveh, and God calls it a what? A great city. Now, that word great comes up over and over and over. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there's, we have a great city. There was a great storm. There was a great wind. There was a great fish. Later on, there's a great plant. Then there's a great worm. Like, there's all these greats. And so there's, there's this communication of size and bigness and importance that God is trying to communicate over and over and over. Like, when it comes to God, he does things big, okay? Jonah, we, I've already said this, he doesn't go to Nineveh. He gets on a ship. On that ship, what happens? Big storm comes up. Right? The crew on the boat, a bunch of pagans, just pagans. How do we know that? They start going, what God is doing this? Who should we pray to? They're a bunch of pagans. Like, we see Jonah try to get further and further away from God, and, and it's communicated to you that he's getting closer and closer to death. So further away from God means closer to death. He, like, gets down in the ship, and then he goes down in the sea, all these things. Eventually, what happens on the ship? They draw straws to see whose God they've made mad. Jonah draws a short straw. He says, yeah, it's me, because I serve the God who's all, like, over all creation, He's the God of the sea, and to tell a sailor that you just made Poseidon mad, in their mind, is not good, right? So what did they do? They're like, row, right? So they try to get to the shore even faster. What does God do? In response, he kicks, that, he kicks it up a notch. Waves get bigger. Wind gets bigger. Jonah says, there's only one thing you can do, man. I'm running from him. Throw me over. Throw me over. So then they're like, no. We can't do that. We can't throw you over, dude. He says, it's the only way that it's gonna work. So before they throw this guy over, you know what they do? In great fear, they ask forgiveness to Yahweh, the Lord, like Jonah's God. They ask forgiveness and humility to him. They throw him over. Then they worship him. Hagans, what do we see here? They value human life, and the person that's going to get them killed, instead of immediate, when he confessed that, they could have been like, boop, see ya, good, all right? They're superstitious, they would have done it, but instead they didn't. These pagans said, no, we're not gonna kill this guy, we can't. They had compassion and mercy. So we, we see that happen. We see Jonah kind of be prideful. He steps up and he goes, I worship the Lord, the only God. Basically saying, you are a bunch of pagans and you are wrong. I am right. I know who's doing this. So they throw him over. Everything calms down immediately. So we can pick up a couple other things that are in Jonah. God is the the Lord over all creation and he can do anything with it. Heck, we have a great fish that comes up and swallows him and then vomits him out. 
Do you have a pet fish that can do that? No, you don't have a pet fish that can do that. No. He, he, makes, he makes wind and he makes waves. He has power over creation. The other thing that we can see here is that the book of the writer of Jonah is trying to do, he's trying to compare and contrast two characters. Okay? He compares and contrasts Jonah and pagans. The reason we go all through that and, and go through this first half of the story, it is, it doesn't, the second half of the story makes no sense without it. In, chap, in chapter two, we see Jonah like praying and praising God for saving him from the, the fish. Goes in the ocean, fish swallows him, stays in there for three days. Fish goes and vomits him right out. It, it uses the word vomit on purpose. <laughs> uh, vomits him out, and then he prays this long thing. I called out to the Lord out of my dismay, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Like all these things, and it goes down to the end and even references these pagan sailors who threw him over. Uh, and it, where does it say it? Oh, yeah. When my life was fading away, I remember the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's like, and even in his prayer, he's identifying, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew, I'm one of yours, God. I'm one of yours, I'm one of yours. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those pagans, they turn away from you. But me, I turn to your holy temple. And with a voice of thanksgiving, I, I sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He says all this, then the fish vomits him out. What's interesting is in chapter one, where we see the sailors, when like they're afraid of God, they, they, it says they exceedingly fear him. They greatly fear him. And what do they actually do? Oh, they make a vow, and then they sacrifice to God, and then they worship him. And what does Jonah say right here? But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Everything in this book means something. There's not a single word that goes to waste. There's a comparison and a contrast happening in every single way. And if we look at this comparison and contrast in the first half of this book, then we will see a very big thing coming through and punching us in the face over and over and over. Jonah is two things. He is a huge hypocrite, a huge hypocrite, and he's a child. He acts like a child. Example, what do your, do, what do your kids do when you ask them to clean their room? You know what my kids do? I laugh. Nice. You know what my kids do? I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> Have you noticed that? It's like, man, you haven't gone to the bathroom in three days, and now, just now, you're just playing video games, and you're like, ah, oops, no, gotta poop, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, when we're asked to do something, a child doesn't want, when they don't want to, one of the response is to go hide. Have you ever caught your kid doing, in the middle of doing something bad? Have they ever just started running when you said their name? Like, you don't even know how they were able to, like, get off the ground and take off that fast. All of a sudden, you just say, hey, Lily, boo, like a shot. Just runs from your voice. Jonah is a kid. My kids like to hide under the table. Y'all, and what's funny is we've got, like, a bar height dinner table, 
And so what's great is to walk through the hallway and like look around and see, see nothing scampering about and then just bend down real slow. And Lily is not tall enough. She'll usually grab a chair and she'll be peeking out the side. It's like standing up. And it's just like, hopefully it's not her future, like bars and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, you're caught. You're caught. Jonah runs. He's a child. In fact, the, the name Jonah, it means silly. The other word for it is senseless. And I'm not going to, I can probably confess that I've heard my dad or someone else in authority over me say something like, boy, you ain't got no sense. You ever heard that? And Jonah, you ain't got no sense, man. You ain't got no sense. He tries to hide from God on the sea. He knows that he is the Lord over the sea. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a place where what I'm on doesn't try to like throw me up in the air and drown me. Water is not the best medium to do when you're disobeying God. Go find, I don't know what you find. I mean, an open field where nothing can fall on you. I'm not sure. But you don't go to the sea. See, everything he does makes no sense. And that's what it's trying to commit to you. But the interesting thing, what we're gonna learn about God, the rest of his name, is he is Jonah, the son of Amittai. And the word Amittai means faithfulness. He is the son of faithfulness. And I don't know who his father is. It might actually be a guy named Amittai, but I know one thing is communicated. God gave him that name because he wanted to communicate something to you that God still loves disobedient children. God is faithful to unfaithful children. He is the son of faithfulness, the senseless, silly son. He's the fool. And God has chosen him for this errand. And that's where we pick off in chapter or pick up in chapter three. See, chapter three is basically the story starting over, except for now Jonah smells like sushi. Okay? So let's look at it. In chapter one, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What does it say in chapter three? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We get this like verse for verse retelling of it, this second chance kind of thing. In, in, in chapter three, he says, came to him, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, he says it again, and call out against it the message that I tell you, slightly different thing there. And the first one he says, call it out, call out against it, the evil, it's done evil against me. This time he says, give them the message. Give them the message that I told you to give them. Compare and contrast. The first time God asked Jonah to go, he runs the other way. This time, so Jonah and Rose arose and went to Nineveh. Boom. You ever like discipline one of your children and it, uh, I'm gonna put it this way. Have you ever put one of your children in time out and it really connected to them? It really got through to them, right? Have you ever, no, have you ever done something, take away their phone? I don't know what you do. Have you ever punished a kid in such a way where it really got to them? Like you knew right then and there, it's like, they'll never do that again. And from then on, they're like, yes, sir, whatever you need, anytime you need it. I've been punished like that. I sure have. Thank, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Dad. It was fun. <laughs> My therapist has heard all about it. It's been a good, no. Remember, a, a, a father who doesn't discipline his child doesn't love him. Proverbs says that. So putting that out there. 
and God disciplined Jonah. How does God discipline Jonah? We've never been disciplined this way. A fish eats him. And if you were Jonah and you'd just been eaten and digested for a while in a fish and then vomited out of that fish, you would probably do whatever God told you to after that too. So we immediate get, immediately get obedience. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is 500 miles north of where Jonah lives. So Jonah travels 500 miles. There's no telling how long it took him, but he knew that that 500-mile walk was better than a, like a tr- another trip in that fish, so he goes walking. He gets to the city. It says that the city is great. It's exceedingly great, so it's, it takes three days to travel across it. And we don't know for sure if that means that it literally would take you three days to walk across all of its kind of properties, or if it means that he was preaching for three like it would take you three days to go communicate the message to all the city. <clears throat> Either way, he's a day into his journey, right, across the city, and he's been preaching this message. And his sermon is this, eight words. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <clears throat> See, Jonah's also, like the, the writer, was funny because he uses humor a bunch, and he uses irony a bunch. Here Jonah goes to do this great mission for God. He goes, and he lives through a great storm. He lives through a great fish. He goes to this great city, and he walks into this great city who has done evil against God, who are evil in all ways, and he preaches a little bitty sermon, and everybody gets saved. He walks in and says eight words, and the scripture says what? Every single person, from the greatest to the least of these, believes God. Share any of your opinions on Facebook. What kind of response are you gonna get? People who believe you are still gonna hate you, right? That's how we roll, that's how people are. Do you like being told what to do? No, especially by another person, especially by someone who is not like you, who you have no clue who they are. What if some dude just randomly walked up to you and said, hey man, you're terrible, and you should go do this now? You would say no, you just would. And Jonah walks into their city, a foreigner walks in and says, yet in 40 days, God's gonna overthrow this city. And they say, okay. And their, act, their, their belief is followed by action, that's what we see here. And it goes all the way to the king, and he issues this decree, and he was probably not necessarily a king, he was probably a governor of sorts, but he's a ruler, all right? He issues a decree that says, don't eat, so fast. Like, put on sackcloth, sit in ashes, mourn. It worked, like, this sermon worked so well that even the animals repented. Have you, did you see this? He's like, don't feed the animals. Put some some sackcloth on them. Make them sit in ashes. We are going to repent. Another great theme of this book, repentance. They hear an eight-word sermon, and in great fear of God, healthy fear, 
fear of God. They see that their evil is what it is. And they see that before a holy God that it must be judged and they repent the whole city, every one of them. And it's an exceedingly great city. I wish I, I could preach that well, right? <laughs> The, the, the thing is, is, it wasn't Jonah's sermon that was so good. See, God had already prepared a way. We see over and over through this whole little book, like God's sovereignty over and over and over and over. And God knew what Nineveh was gonna do. Like, he had it planned what Nineveh would, would do when they just heard it, when they were just able to be given the opportunity and hear the truth. See, the interesting thing is that we see that it called the great city over and over and over and over. God valued Nineveh. Nineveh, for some reason, was great to him. To him, it was part of the plan. He had a purpose to send Jonah there. See, God has compassion on the sinner. When he has all rights to only have justice followed by wrath, he is a compassionate God. And you know what God does when they repent? He relents. God never turns a deaf ear to repentance, ever. And that's the hope of the nations. That's your hope and that's my hope, is that God relents from evil and disaster that you have brought on to yourself when you repent. This book is full of hope if you're a sinner. This terrible, awful city, full of sin. God doesn't just give them a chance. He sends someone there to make sure it happens. And God is pursuing you the exact same way. And the big question for you today is that there's someone, there's a people in your life that God has called you to be Jonah to. He's already prepared the way. He's already made it happen. He's put you in the unique position that you are in, the job that you have, the neighborhood that you live in, the gas station that you stop in every day. He has put you there for a purpose, and he's called you to go to those places and to share the message that he's given to you. Do we run or do we go? That's right. <laughs> hey, man, he's listening better than some of y'all. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, hey, man, little kid. What he said.
preaches better than I do. There are people in your life that are waiting to hear eight words. Think God saved you for no reason? We see pagans through this entire book, people who don't deserve God's grace in any way. They're not even like, they're not even aware of who God is. They worship vain idols. We see God have compassion over them. And so the big question, church, for you, are you a compassionate person? Would you say that, yeah, I'm compassionate toward people? I see the issues that they might have. I see, what, what, when I see people, I immediately give them a chance. I am compassionate. I, I relate to their problems. Are you compassionate to annoying people? God's heart is one of compassion. And this book, and I can't go to, into chapter four too far. We'll hit a little bit of the first of it. This book is asking you the question, will you value life? Will you value other human beings? And will you have compassion on them when you realize that their fate is disaster? And when you're called to go and to preach hope to them, when you're called to go and to say that you don't have to be destroyed, there is salvation. Will you go? Will you have compassion? So I ask the question. We hear, like preachers say, all the time, and I grew up in a, in a traditional Southern Baptist church, which was a Southern Baptist church, by the way, for, for like the people who are like, oh my gosh, I thought you were, no, 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 I'm, oh no. Yeah, we're Southern Baptists, all right? no. And I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in a time where evangelism was like everything. You have little ears. It was, evangelism was everything. We would go and share our faith. And you got asked over and over, are you sharing your faith? Are you sharing your faith? And honestly, to the point of even it sound, feeling, feeling guilty about it. So it created this complex in us that we were even more like afraid to do it because then we were afraid to screw it up. Like it was all dependent on us. And the book of Jonah is telling you, it ain't dependent on you because he preached the worst sermon ever. He could have cared less about preaching that stupid sermon. The only reason he went is because God would kill him if he didn't. He preaches eight words and everybody gets saved. It's like the first time they heard reckless love. Everybody got saved, you know Everybody gets saved. Every single dadgum one of them. Salvation is not in the balance based on how well you communicate the gospel. That is not the point here. God saves people. Your words don't. Your words don't save anyone. We have to trust that God has uniquely chosen us to go uniquely to people that he's already prepared the way for. It's that gas station attendant that you just like, man, I, that, that same one keeps ringing me up over and over. I don't believe in coincidence. Do you believe in coincidence? I do not believe that things happen by chance. I believe in a sovereign God who is God over the sea, over the fish, over the air, over these people, and he is 
uniquely like put us in a position. And if we would change our mindset and start to see, like see it for what it really is, it's not just an accident that that person moved in next to us. It's not just an accident that these other families are on the same ball team as me and my family. God says, go. The thing is, is you're not gonna go unless you have the right heart. I just told you, like, I felt guilty if I didn't evangelize, so whenever I would share my faith, and it was super awkward, uh, like, hello, uh, would you like not, not go to hell? <laughs> like, a 10-year-old comes up to a 65-year-old man in a mall and tells him he's gonna go to hell. That works, right? And, and that's, that's not how I think evangelism really works now. I think share the gospel, we can do it in a lot of ways, and we plant seeds in lots of ways. We, we form relationships with people is what we do. We seek to bless them and serve them and care for them. And in the midst of that, if we have an opportunity to share our faith with them, we do. We do. Let's read the beginning of chapter four and it'll all come together. Everyone gets saved. Everyone just listen to Jonah's sermon. You hear that? Everyone responded to Jonah's sermon in an extreme way, like the best way ever. And what does he say? Chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever wondered why Jonah ran? I, growing up, I always thought it was because he was afraid of Nineveh, like that they were gonna kill him because they were evil. Put two and two together. They're evil. They're gonna kill him. He was afraid of them. That's not it at all. He prayed to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? He's basically saying, I told you, I told you, I knew that this was gonna happen. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and that you're merciful, that you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, God, please, just kill me. Take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah is a child. He throws a temper tantrum and pouts. Why is he mad? Because God is compassionate and merciful to them. God, they're not a Jew, they're not us. Why would you want to be compassionate to them? It's just like my two daughters, jealous. In fact, we call Ella jealous, Ellis. Like, we just do. And they, they pry for position. If we're like holding one of them, the other one will walk in real sheepishly and like literally try to wedge. They, they're gotten good at it. They use both hands and they're like, and separate and then try to dive in. And they do this back and forth and hair gets pulled and people cry and people hit. And it's just, it's, a, it's like MMA in a bedroom. It's terrible. Jonah says, it's not fair. You're not supposed to have your attention turned toward them. They shouldn't be great to you, God. Why do you like them? 
And it just goes to show you that God has a different economy than you have. He values things that you might not see and might not make sense to you. And he might be calling you to people that you don't like. In fact, he is. You know how I know it? Because Jesus came and saved his enemies. He, God has uniquely put people in your life and through sinful choices, you have become bitter toward one another, angry toward one another. You are enemies. And Jesus says, love your enemy. God is calling you to your enemy too. The big question here, when we see Jonah's response, he didn't want, he didn't want these people to be saved. They weren't worthy of it. It wasn't because he feared them. He knew God. He knew that God was merciful. He knew that God was compassionate. He knew that he was abounding in steadfast love, that he was slow to anger. He knew all these things, and he was like, he's gonna send me there to save them, and I don't want them to be saved. God is probing into your heart with these words. He's digging into your heart and he's shining a light on it. And he said, are you compassionate like I'm compassionate? Church, the answer, if Jesus could come and die in your place and bear the wrath, bear the evil and the disaster that God is talking about, if he could bear that for you and forgive you and show compassion on you, a senseless, silly fool. Then it would be easy to forgive and show compassion toward those who have wronged you. That is gospel living. That's what Jesus changes. So I, I end with some questions. Are you compassionate? Are you willing to go? Who is God calling you to go to? We have to stop thinking that it's a suggestion. We have to start seeing it as urgent as Jonah saw it. Jonah knew that it was a command to go. That's why he ran as fast as he could because he knew he would get punished if he didn't run fast enough. He knew that God was serious about obeying his command to go. What's different now is you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He gives you everything that you need to go. And this is the truth. God will definitely put more on you than you can handle. So it's a lie when people go, God will never put more on you than you can handle. That's bull. He, shoot, my week, is, my week says different. Let me show you. He gave me four of those jokers and some other stuff going on. So, uh -uh. You know what he will do, though? Wherever he calls you to go, he will provide everything you need to get there. Church, we have to be intentional with everything that we do every day because 
We are in the mission field that God has chosen us to go to. Is your heart like God's? Are you compassionate? Do you realize that the people that you've been put around, and, and we, don't, we don't like to think about this, so we don't, the end for them without Christ is hell. A real place. And this is not to make you feel guilty. This is just for us to gain some perspective. That coworker that you have that you are friends with, they are going to hell without Jesus. It is coming. Disaster is coming. They will be overthrown. They will be destroyed. Speak the eight words so they might believe and repent. Have compassion. Understand that this is urgent. Every day that you're given is another opportunity to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And so I implore you, church, to go. If you are in this room today, it's because God is preparing the way for you. You're not here by coincidence. You're not here by chance. If you're here and you don't, need, you don't believe maybe in Jesus or you're just trying this out, maybe you don't believe in God. You're here because somebody maybe brought you here. You are hearing these words, not by chance. And I, I'm gonna preach a really short sermon to you. Repent and believe. There is disaster coming, but if you repent, God will relent. His son Jesus came and lived a perfect life when you couldn't. And he died on a cross and bore the sin and took the punishment for that sin so you don't have to because God is kind and compassionate. The book of Romans says his kindness is what leads us to repentance. So today, I implore you to believe God to believe in his son Jesus that he died on a cross for your sins and was raised three days later and he defeated death for you and he defeated sin for you and he says repent and believe. Turn away from living for yourself and surrender. You won't just be saved from hell, you will be saved to God himself and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You don't just get a free ticket out of a bad situation. That's not it. He will transform your life and give you purpose. He will give you joy. Praise God. Let's pray. God, I pray that we respond. God, I pray that we would not respond like Jonah did the first time or the second time. God, that we wouldn't run. God, and that we wouldn't be angry that he's called us to someone maybe that we don't want to be called to. God, I pray that for every single person in this room, including me, God, give us like perspective to see the urgency of people who don't know you. God, give us compassion to go to those people. Give us hearts that care about their faith. God, for anyone in this room who's never believed on Jesus Christ, God, I pray that they would 
hear the hope of the gospel, that there's salvation in the, in the, the midst, in the shadow of disaster. God, that they would believe on the name of Jesus and that they would today surrender to him as Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.